Here's the problem. Our our world understands, or those hierarchy of our world understands, that if they can create or if we can create fear in the hearts of people, it's easier to control them. That's, That's what's happened and it was evident back in 2020 when COVID hit our shores a great fear began to spread across our society as people were prevented from shopping, as they were prevented from spending time with friends, as they were prevented from going to work. Um, Even getting to a doctor was difficult during those times. Um, Going to church, we were prevented at that point in time and a host of other everyday things and conveniences that we took for granted, were taken away in a moment, and great fear spread across our community. And these things were taken away in this moment's notice, and uncertainty came as a result of what just took place. And it did create great fear amongst almost all of our society, especially the most vulnerable, our elderly people. It got tough. And, and the reality is that QR codes became the norm. Half of us didn't even know what a QR code was. But QR codes became the norm and checking in became mandatory, leaving with us a sour taste about wanting to give our details to anyone, anytime. Very protective of our personal details. And what happened during that time was that many of the processes that we as a church had put in place to make people feel welcomed and to keep connected with and try and connect with people who came to church for the first time, well, we had to stop taking details or people were reluctant to give details. They didn't even want to give a phone number or an email address and still that continues It's difficult to connect with people even now because of what the mentality and the fear that came into us through those times. So as a church, we we struggle in some areas because it's hard to connect with people if people don't want to connect. And that's what happened during those couple of years. We just want to isolate ourselves. Our our world became overly cautious and, and fearful and even angry at societies. There were all sorts of things said on social media and in the media and natural reaction even still is to react against the control that we have was imposed on us and do our own thing. And what that has done is, is break down the impact that the body of Christ, the church, has had in society. It's made it really difficult for the church to be the church where the church itself was once unified and enthusiastic and a good place to join together and to do things in our community and and share the love of Jesus freely amongst people. Those things were stifled. We didn't no longer want to join in with small groups and, and have those times of fellowship. Even though we wanted it, we were reluctant to do it for fear. Studying the scriptures all became difficult as a corporate body and there's now, even still today, an anti-sentiment 
to the things that we would normally consider the way to build unity, certainly around the body of Christ. We're more prone to spend time with our own family. We're prone to take family time more often, make that the priority. We're spending more and more time outside of the church. Almost every church has experienced the same sorts of stuff and reduced numbers in services, reduced numbers in small group, reduced numbers or attendance at church events. It's difficult to get volunteers to do anything more than just volunteer to come to church. It's been hard. But here's the problem that's underlying all of that. When the, fear, when, when the church lives in fear, it becomes ineffective in the ministry that we're called to do. When we live in such a fear of what's going on, we become ineffective to do the work that God has called us to do. The very things that the church is supposed to to do has been disrupted. And and I believe that it's time that we, we took back the authority that we have in Christ, that we've been given in his word to do what we've been called to do, to go into our world and make disciples. We, we, are ha- we are to be the light of the world. We are to be salt. We are to be standout people in our community and yet fear has reduced us to this blubbering mess where we don't want to do any of those things that we're called to do. In fact, we stand against them by just our very attitude. We should be the place where community can find peace and the love of Jesus the presence of the Holy Spirit, the lifestyle that we, we long for but don't know that we need until we, until we see it in action. We've taken our eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ potentially and begun to share the, and believe in the God of this world and give in to the authority that we've been given. And what we do is... If we, if we think we've done something wrong, we just think, oh, well, I'll just ask God to forgive me. He'll forgive me and everything will be back to normal. We have embraced the verse that we read in Romans chapter 5 last week in a negative context. We, we've embraced the verse that we read that Paul was trying to address and will address this morning when he, he said it, it, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant, and we, we've, we, we were not worried about that. We, we sin, we'll just ask for forgiveness. If we don't do what we're supposed to do, we'll just ask for forgiveness. If we aren't meeting what we're supposed to do as a church, God's a God of love. He will overlook all of those things. We've done things with that mindset and that it is better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask permission. And some of those things we don't even need to ask permission for because we've been told, we've been commissioned for those things. And we know what we ought to do, but we don't want to do it. And we we even know that we should be doing it. 
And we probably feel a little guilty at times about not doing what we're supposed to do. But, you know, God understands that I'm so busy and all of these things are happening and, and God will understand. He'll forgive me. I wonder whether we fully understand what it means to give our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be living how he wants us to live. And that brings us to Romans chapter 6. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul writes, he says, in, in relation to the verse I just read that God's wonderful grace became more abundant because the more that we sin, the more grace that we get. Paul says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by his glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. And since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that the sin, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we shall also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Now that he lives, he lives to the glory of God. So you we should also consider ourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. There are some powerful statements in that passage. And if you're taking notes either on, on your paper stuff or on an online stuff, the first word is grace. Why is grace so important or why grace is important? Because back in the time of the before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's people were living under the law. But the law couldn't save them. The law couldn't, it, it was not sufficient enough to justify them. The law couldn't sanctify them. That wasn't the purpose of the law. The law doesn't give us the resources to be able to be confident and fearless and, and courageous and patient and kind and, and fair and loving. The Lord doesn't provide for us to, to be able to not return evil for evil and it doesn't provide for us to be a blessing with those who curse us. It doesn't provide for those things. The law, we've read it in already in Romans was given so that we would know that we couldn't keep the law. It was to show how sinful we were. It didn't provide for all of the things that were necessary for once and for all salvation or once and for all sanctification with Christ. 
And we're told in Romans 12, we won't get to that in this series, but Romans 12 tells us that they are the things that we should be doing. We're supposed to be blessing those who curse us. In Matthew, Jesus says that. He says you should pray for your enemies. They're the things that we should be doing. That only becomes available to us through Jesus Christ. It only happens when Jesus Christ is in our life. It can only take place when we give up ourselves, die to self and live for Christ. And we in this side of Jesus' resurrection live in a time of grace. The problem of that is that we often take grace to mean that we can do what we want, when we want. And think that I've just got to ask God's forgiveness and it'll be okay. He'll, he's this gracious God who will just keep on forgiving me. And he will. But that's not how we're supposed to live. Because while grace means that we, we do have the favour of God upon us, even though we don't deserve it. That's what grace means. It means we've received it even though we don't deserve it. It doesn't mean that at some point there is not going to be some reckoning, that we're not going to be held accountable, a time when we will be held accountable for the things that we've done. But while having the favour of God upon us is true, and it will mean that we may have the things and will have, by the way, the things that we need. And we'll have his protection from harm. And we'll have the peace of knowing that our salvation is secure. It does not mean that everything in this life will go well. It does not mean that we will not find ourselves working through difficulties and having problems and struggles. It doesn't mean that God will always forgive us if we are unwilling to confess and repent either. Jesus says that in Matthew. If we're unwilling to forgive others, then God cannot, cannot, will not forgive us. But grace is important. It's, it's so important because it gives us a wonderful advantage over all of the things that are happening in our society, it gives us an advantage over the God of this world. And we need that in order to have the victory that we should have in Christ. We, we need this advantage because the grace that God has given us is, is the ability to have the power over sin. Sin is no longer out. We're not confined to that. We have a power over sin. We have the sin's broken power is, is gone. So that's what grace enables us to live in such a way that we're no longer conformed or need to be conformed to the patterns of this world and live under this bondage of sin, but we can live in such a way that we actually know what God's will is. We have a wonderful advantage in that when we give our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
When we gave ourselves to him, Paul tells us in Romans 6, he says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for when we gave up our life for Christ, when we gave our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. That's amen. Because God has graciously given us the ability and the the means, the power to be over sin or to over sin that we, when we give our heart to him, when we live our lives for him, we have victory. That doesn't mean that we can't sin. It doesn't mean that we, we, it's, it's impossible to sin. And it certainly doesn't mean that we're never going to be tempted to sin. But it does mean that the Holy Spirit comes in and will give us the ability to resist the sin. It no longer holds us in its grip. We are no longer forced or made or in bondage to sin. And when our faith in Christ and our loyalty is undivided, when we are of one mind in Christ, God gives us the strength and the ability to overcome any of the temptations that are coming, going to come our way and are designed to pull us back into the world's grip. Any temptation that comes, we have the authority in God's name to resist. 1 Corinthians 10.13, if you want a reference, it's not in your notes. James tells us, because of that, we should humble ourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honour. James is saying, don't live this way any longer. When we realise we've done something wrong, when we've realised that we have broken God's law, it should bring us to tears. It shouldn't be, oh, God will forgive me and I can keep on doing it. Rather than being pleased with getting away with sinful behaviour, we, we need to be coming to a repentant point in our life. And as James says, let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Let there be gloom instead of joy. In other words, let's come before him and acknowledge what we've done. It's not good enough to think that just because we live under this banner of grace that it gives us the freedom to do whatever we want. And by the way, we don't get away with it. We won't get away with sin because no one finds out about it. We, we won't just escape the, the punishment because, oh, well, it didn't really, no one knew. It was not anyone's problem. We don't get away with bad motives because no one knows our motives. God is the one who we are offending in these processes. We may offend one another, but God is the one that we offend the most. 
in the process when we he knows that we ought to be living a life that is holy that is set apart that is honoring to him and we're content with living a half-hearted life we dishonor him especially when God has given us the power through his holy spirit to be able to endure that to get through that to resist those sort of be, that sort of behavior. Paul goes on in Romans 6 verse 10, he says, when he, that's talking about Jesus, when Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives and he lives for the glory of God. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. When we give or gave our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, our old sin nature is dealt with once and for all. It's dead. It was put to death. The old nature led to death. The new late nature that we are given, the new part of our nature, the, the input of the Holy Spirit leads to life. As Christ follows, as redeemed people bought back by him, who died for us, that old nature has been taken care of, it's gone, meaning that the power that sin had over us has been dealt with. It's no longer problematic for us or it shouldn't be problematic for us. Death no longer holds us in its grip and we are alive in Christ and free from the power that sin has over us. That's why grace is so important because grace means that we have Freedom in Christ. Which is the next point, I guess, what grace means. It's the same word, just for those who are wondering. Romans 6 verse 12 goes on, Paul says, Do not let sin control the way that you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of the evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, now you have a new life. Your old life was sending you to hell, the new life is bringing you to heaven. So because your whole body as an, sorry, so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Your whole body. Sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, You live under the freedom of God's grace. Praise God for that. It's not about ticking off law stuff. Yep, didn't do that, didn't do that, didn't do that. Oh, I did that, that's good. I must be right with God because that's where the Pharisees got caught up. And that's why when Jesus said, I came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it, and then went on to say that if someone does something bad against you, you should be praying for them and and loving them. It's not eye for an eye, tooth for tooth any longer, because that's the letter of the law. The spirit of that was that we would actually recognize the attitude of those things. That we don't, it's not, oh, well, this is what it says, I'm going to do that. It's the attitude that we have, which is what Jesus dealt with. If, if you, it's if talking about adultery, even if you lust after another person, that you've already committed adultery. That's the attitude that Jesus is dealing with. That's why he talked about fulfilling the law, because he was giving us the bigger picture of what it meant to be not being an adulterer. 
He wanted, and, those, and there's a bunch of things if you want to read them. God's grace should determine how we live. Because of God's, that God's grace is upon us, it should cause us to live differently to the rest of this world. And since God has given us new life and we belong to him, that we are his children, as Paul says, give yourselves completely to God using your bodies as an instrument to do what he wants so that he gets the glory. It, our lives should point to him. The things that we do should point to him. So when people see us, they see him. When people know or recognize what we do, they should see the love of Jesus. That's why Paul tells us other places that we should be his ambassador. Or we are his ambassador. We represent Christ to a world that's going to hell. That's why we should be the living light in our nation. But while sin is lurking in our heart, it's, it's, we, we find ourselves under its control. The only way that we are able to resist the devil is by submitting ourselves entirely to him, to Jesus Christ. The only way that you and I are going to be able to live in this way that we're supposed to live, free from the power of sin, is to give ourselves entirely to Christ. Not just the little bits, not just our Sundays, not just when we're in church people company, not just when, when everybody's watching us, all of ourselves entirely to him. The word that we use for that, that you'll hear about that, is the word sanctified, entirely sanctified, where we have given ourselves entirely over to him. It's set apart is what that means. Always conscious that while, <coughs> excuse me, always conscious that while ever sin is lurking in our heart, the possibility of sinning is always going to be there. And while the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us, as he lives in us, not to sin, it's never impossible for us to, to not sin because we still have our own self-will. Unless, of course, we're, well, we do have that, but we need to submit that to God himself. Take my will, not yours. My desires, not yours. If we're going to do that, if we're going to keep ourselves those things, God can't do anything. That's why we need to keep ourselves on to make sure that ourselves are pure and in a state of being right with God. Again, righteousness means being right with God and doing what he wants us to do. And Paul goes on in verse 15, he says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you, don't you realise that you became a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which will lead to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads, leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we were given. Now you are free from the slavery of sin and you have become slaves 
to righteous living. Let that soak in. We are slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, of our human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. which is what we're called to do. Just because God's grace has set us free from the the law, it does not mean that we can do whatever we like. We are now slaves to righteous living. We are now slaves to doing what God wants. If we're going to continue to go on sinning, we're allowing sin to reign in us. And if that is how we live, then sin is our master. If we're going to continue on in that way, then sin is our what's controlling us. But we should be, as Paul actually is telling us to be, we should be slaves to righteousness or righteous living. That's the choice that each one of us has now. When we give our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's still choice to be made. We choose to go on living the way that we were or we can choose to live in a way that God wants. That's the choice that you and I are confronted with. But praise God, we've been given the Holy Spirit when we give our hearts to him so that we're not under the power of sin and we're not needing to give in to the temptation that is before us to do what's wrong. We have the power to overcome and say no to those things so that we can live according to the way God wants us to live. It's a choice. And we need to choose between being obedient to Christ or obedient to the world. Paul describes those who are not in Christ under compulsion to sin. He talks about they're compelled to sin. They, they must obey their sinful desires. That's, that's their work. That's the work of the devil, that's what he does, that's his nature. And for those who are not in Christ, that's the nature. The result of that work, it says, more and more lawlessness. Romans 1 talks about where God gave them over to their own evil desires and they they degraded themselves more and more in this downward spiral of lawlessness and moral devaluation. That's... What they do, they succeed in creating for themselves more and more sinful behaviour and the moral value of society degrades with it. Those in Christ, though, on the other hand, are used by God to serve in righteousness, to live the way that we're supposed to be living, to be an example to the rest of the world. Paul writes, he says, it's sanctification or it's holiness. The New Testament often uses the word sanctification. It's the process, it's being sanctified. The process of being sanctified. Entire sanctification is the process of continually giving ourselves entirely to God, set apart for Him. When we talk about being entirely sanctified, it doesn't mean that we have made it and we don't need to do any more. It's the process 
of being entirely sanctified, of being always set apart. And God uses our service to righteousness, the service to doing what is right with him to contribute to that process of sanctification. So what does a life of holiness look like? Holiness is the word for the third point if you're filling in your notes. Well, Paul tells us, he says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. What was the result? Well, you're now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. As a result of what God has done, we do the things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. You know this verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift that God has given us is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a free gift of eternal life because nothing of what we have done but what Christ has done in us and this process of living lives that are holy and righteous for him ensures us of that outcome. When Jesus comes into our heart, when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, our Saviour, he sets us free from the bondage of having and compelled to sin. Slaves, he calls it, Paul calls it. And when we allow Jesus to be our master, to take control of our life, our thinking, our everything, he takes care of all the things that were, were in place to create eternal doom and gives us a fresh whole outlook on life. It's like when Jesus, well, when Jesus comes, it's like this weight comes off us. You've, many of you have experienced it. It's hard to explain if you've never had that, but when you don't even know we're carrying a weight until it gets lifted and you think, whoa, what was that? And God changes us in an instant to be his people. He takes care of all the things that were causing us to head to, into that position of eternal doom and Paul write, the things that Paul's written about. We are declared holy because without being holy, there's no entrance into the kingdom of heaven. We're declared holy at that point through the atoning sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ, not because we're so good at keeping to the letter of the law. Hebrews 10 tells us, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. That's his desire for you and I, to be holy beings. And it's the same thing that Paul said back in Romans 5. We read it last a couple of weeks ago. Therefore, since we've been made right with God, right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. We have peace because it's been done for us. And when we're in Christ, when we've given our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are seen as completely holy and righteous people as we live righteous living, holy living. And since we've been declared holy, what does righteous living look like? How does that show up in our lives practically? What should a life of holiness really look like for us? 
at its core. It's a life marked with thankfulness. It's a life marked with obedience. It's a life marked with rejoicing and so much more because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. Because the fact that he died for me. And even if I was the only person in the entire world that needed saving, I believe he would have done exactly the same thing that he did. Because he so loved the world that he did what he did in sending Jesus Christ for us. So when Jesus, when we're thankful for those things, when we're obedient to that, when we're living life righteously, that affects not just the things that we do, but it affects what we want to do. Our life ought to be focused on what brings glory to God and what will honour him. Rather than choosing what makes me feel good, I want to choose what God wants for me. Satan would love nothing more than to bring us back into his power of feelings. When we don't wake up on the right side of the bed, I often wonder about that. What if your bed's against the wall? It probably means you've banged your head on the wall getting through. That's why you wake up grumpy. When we wake up bad, we feel bad. Does that mean that God loves us any less? Of course it doesn't. It affects everything. It affects how we think. It affects our motives for doing what we're doing. But we have a promise that when we give our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 John 4, he says, you now belong to God, dear children. You've already won a victory over those people who are of the world because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. Take that this morning. Use that. Multiply it in your thinking because you are going to come up against some stuff this week that is going to wreck you if you don't allow God to take control. It's going to destroy you. The fear of what's happening in our world is going to overwhelm you. Unless, of course, you know that fear has no grip on me any longer because greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. And I don't need to fear because my God is going to take care of my needs. He is with me. He's watching over me. He's caring for me. He loves me. He gives me the things that I need in order to get through the day. And he will not abandon me. We don't live holy lives so that we can earn salvation. Paul says in Galatians in Galatians 5, he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Let the Holy Spirit guide your thinking. So then you, we won't be caught up in, in the feelings of doing what our, our body wants to do. We don't live holy lives to earn our salvation. Living a life that is holy, living a life that is righteous, is a natural consequence of being saved by grace and filled with his spirit. It's the natural outcome of God in us. 
It's, it's, we're not saved because of it, but because we're saved, God in us will cause us to live differently. It's also important not to give up when we mess up because, you know what, you're probably, I do, we're probably going to mess up somewhere along the line. You're going to say something that someone's going to take offence of. You're going to do something that's going to be seen to be wrong. You're going to be acting in a way or you're, it's going to happen. Don't give up when we mess up. When we fail, our, our response living righteous lives is to come before him and confess it and repent. That means turn away from it. Don't keep on doing it, but to, to turn away from that sort of behaviour, to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to give you the power and the strength to able to get through that. God's grace doesn't go away because we make mistakes. It doesn't go away because you mess up. God's grace is forever with us. Galatians 5 says when we come, when sorry, sorry, let me re- rephrase that. Galatians 5 gives us the, the understanding of what life is like that are inappropriate if we've given our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, adultery, sorcery, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And then Paul says this, and other sins like these, their attitude, that's what he's getting at. It's why we're doing what we're doing. Why Why are we getting involved in this stuff that leads to sinlessness, that brings temptation to the surface so that we're, we're more prone to give in to that? Why do we put ourselves in places that are going to bring us to that point? Why do we watch those sorts of movies? Why do we listen to that sort of music? Why do we watch those sorts of clips? Why do we laugh at those sorts of jokes? Because they're the things that will rise, to bring to the top those immoral stuff that keeps us out of the kingdom of God. We might not give in to it this time, but do it enough, it'll get to you. It'll get to each of us. That's why I live well beyond before that. But there are certain kinds of conduct that we need to add to our life. Paul actually tells us in Galatians as well. He tells us about compassionate hearts. He talks about kindness, humility, meekness. He talks about patience and bearing up one another's love with love and good works. He's, if we have a complaint against one another, then we need to be forgiving of each other. Holiness is a byproduct, or sorry, is the product of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's why these things need to be added. We need to be looking out to how we can bless one another. He who is holy now lives in me. He lives in you. If you have given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, he produces in me his fruit. His fruit, not mine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control, the fruit of the Spirit of God, his fruit, ever-growing. Yeah, I mess up, and probably you do. And I don't always display those fruit in a, in a way that I'm proud of. 
But when I realise that, my response ought to be to come back to the Lord Jesus Christ, confess and repent. It's a change of attitude. It's a heart change of, of what I want to do. It's a desire to follow the Holy Spirit in every part of my life. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them. They're done away with. Those who love the Lord Jesus Christ have made the decision to say, you know what, anger, you're done with. Lust, you're done with. All this drunken behaviour and wild parties and, and things that draw me away from the kingdom of heaven, you're done away with. I've nailed them to the cross. They're dead to me. I live now the way Christ wants me to live. And the Satan, if you want to come and tempt me in that way, it doesn't matter because they're nailed to the cross. They're not going to get resurrected because I'm alive in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to have this rock-solid faith. That's what it means to be so sure of our faith that when these things do come up, we can say, you know what? Satan be gone. Get out of it. He, he will do everything he can to bring us back, but God is greater. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. We want to live the way that he wants, God wants us to live. We want to live the way that others won't live. We want to be different. It would mean to take our example from Jesus Christ, not from the world. It would mean that we live in obedience to his word, not to what the world is trying to conform us to, to keep us in fear so that we are easily controlled. It's we need to recognise that we have his word of God takes precedence over all of the things that we're told to do. It doesn't mean that we don't listen to the law of the land when we're supposed to. doesn't mean that. But where the law of the land comes into conflict with the word of God, the word of God takes precedence. That's what it means to be a light. That's what it means to be salt. It's, it's what we're supposed to do. And it's only possible to live that way when we accept Jesus Christ into our lives for ourselves. It's only possible to have this freedom, this weight lifted off, the ability to live with, with joy and peace and to increase the ability to be patient and kind and loving, it's only possible when we receive Jesus Christ into our life for, the first, for ourselves. And if you're this morning either online or you're in person here and you've never made that decision for yourselves, you've never said, I want to have that kind of stuff, if I want Jesus in my life, then today's your day. That's why I was excited because it's a great day. We have a wonderful opportunity to know Jesus Christ for perhaps the very first time. doesn't mean you're not going to have problems in life. It doesn't mean you're never going to have issues that you're going to have to work through, but it does mean you've got the ability to get through it. It does mean that it won't overpower you. It does mean that you don't have to allow the things of this world to control you any longer, but the power of God will control our hearts and lives and, and we live for him. So if you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, oh, let's, can we just bow our heads and, and close our eyes for a moment? If you've never done that, then I, I want you to pray this little prayer with me. 
earnestly and honestly, Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I am ask for forgiveness for the disobedience that I've, I've shown, the perhaps out of ignorance. But honestly, Lord, it's about me wanting to get my own way. And I confess this morning that I want to do your will. I want you to come in and take control of my life. I want you to take over my thinking. I want to give up my way for your way. I don't want to do it today. I don't want to linger any longer on these things. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you come into my life, that you fill me, that you forgive me, and you use me wherever you want me to be used. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming in this morning. In Jesus' name. And if you've done that before and you know that life has taken control and fear has, has taken over, then we need to probably come and ask the Lord to forgive us and bring us back to guide us to recommit ourselves to living lives that are holy and righteous. Lord Jesus, I pray today that that would happen for each one of us that have made that decision, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel nor afraid of what it stands for, but we would have confidence knowing that you are with us. Give us the direction you want. Teach us your way, O Lord, and lead us down the path of righteousness today again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.